It's Monday. It's morning. And it's Macabre, the show where we talk about spooky, scary, weird, creepy, unknown, mysterious things. Urban legends sometimes. Sometimes murder. Hey, murder, urban legends, UFOs, etc. It's all on the table, baby. Uh, baby, I'm Darcy. I'm here with Mr. Scones. Hey. Hey, it's Mr. Scones. Hey, it's me, Mr. Scones. We're in the deep, dark recesses of the Sling and Dingers dungeons, and we're bringing you another episode as we get closer and closer to lava, which will never reach us. Or will I don't it? know. It's getting hot. <laughs> it's getting hot. I'm starting to sweat. It might just be summertime, but I'm feeling the heat. I'm sweating. So I'm hoping your story chills me to the bones right now. Oh, I see what you did there. I, I've i gone down a real, real, real rabbit hole here. <laughs> I don't know what it's about, but you sound like the way I sounded <laughs> for the air, for the. Uh, yeah, for the train, the train one. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm putting I'm putting pins on, on corkboard. You, you pull the string and the whole sweater's coming undone. Yeah. Undone by Weezer's playing in the background and <laughs> honkies are dissing your girl <laughs> i want to destroy your sweater whoa 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 now if you haven't listened to the show before scones or i will bring a story we will tell the other one who has no idea what it's about and we will discuss and uh yeah that's that is so the long and short of it and this week i'm like you the listener hearing this for the first time and reacting yeah and that's monday morning macabre baby the show with the worst seo so scones today I'm going to begin where I began in my research, which was... At the start? At the start. Yeah, I'm going to begin at the start. Bring you back to September 12th, 1952, in Braxton County, West Virginia, in the small town of Flatwoods. Ooh, West Virginia, home of Mothman. Home of Mothman. Are you just doing Mothman again? (laughs) (laughs) It's home of Mothman and Mountain Mamas, so... What I'm going to start with today is the Flatwoods monster, but we're going to end up discussing the real, true men in black. Today, on Monday morning, look up. Now, you're probably confused as to how we went from one thing to another, but don't worry, baby. I will, I will weave I'm it all I'm hoping a gap together. gets bridged. This is potentially a two-parter. I have six pages of notes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but we'll, we're going to get through this. And I think it's interesting, and I think you'll learn some things. And also be like, holy, holy shoot, shoot.com. <laughs> Lose my faith in humanity, probably. So... The Flatwoods Monster. This is a popular West Virginian monster, much like the Mothman. Do you think they know each other? I think they're good friends. Based on their appearance, they sound like they are great friends and probably barn owls. But September 12th. That's good because it was either that or they were going to be bitter rivals. Ooh, that might be a more fun story arc, though. That'd be a sick fight. We should make a t-shirt that's like a fight night t-shirt and it's a like boxing ring and it's in West Virginia and it's Flatwoods versus. Wait, you're a, you're actually a fucking genius. Um, tweet at us if you want the, that shirt because I want it. That sounds yeah. amazing. Let us know. But first let me tell you about the Flatwoods monster so you know what we're getting into. 7.15 p.m. on September 12th, 1952. Two brothers, Edward and Fred May and their friend Tommy Heyer said they saw a bright object cross the sky and land on the property of local farmer G. Bailey Fisher. 
That's a farmer name. The names in our research are amazing. It's always great. You can you 100% are sure that G. Bailey Fisher has a piece of wheat in his mouth and he's got his overalls. He's like the guy who's like, yeah. it's honest work. That picture is what I imagine. Yeah, exactly. So the boys went to the home of Kathleen May after they see this bright object, land on the farm. They go to Kathleen May's house where they tell her the story. May, who is accompanied by three boys, local children Neil Nunley, Ronnie Shaver, and West Virginia National Guardsman Eugene Lemon, went to the Fisher Farm in an effort to locate whatever it was. Wait, that, did they? What? Was he there as a National Guardsman? Um, I don't, or was he just like, I think hi guys, <laughs> by the way, I'm in the National Guard. He's like, oh, hi, I'm the National Guard. I'm just at this here. I don't know why he has this accent. I'm just at this here uh, meteor shower. Okay. He sounds like a spy. I don't think he's actually the National <laughs> he's, Guard. He's a Canadian, apparently. But he was there. I'm not sure why he was. I, I mean, I think it was just he is happens to be part of the National Guard, which adds credence to the story because he's like a person with a, with oh, a okay. you know like a title. This was on an official report somewhere. Yes. So they go to the Fisher Farm in an effort to locate whatever it was that the boys say they had seen. The group reached the top of a hill where Nunley said they saw a pulsing red light. Lemon, the National Guardsman, said he aimed a flashlight in the direction and momentarily saw a tall man-like figure with a round red face surrounded by a pointed hood-like shape. Now, descriptions varied. In an article for Fate magazine based on his tape-recorded interviews, UFO writer Gray Barker described the figure as approximately 10 feet tall with a round blood-red face, a large pointed hood-like shape around the face, eye-like shapes which emitted greenish-orange light and a dark black or green body. That's super scary. Yeah, super scary. Enormous, terrifying figure that they all see. Kathleen May, the woman whose house that the two boys originally went to, describes the figure as having small, claw-like hands and a head that resembles the Ace of Spades. And that's really like the visual identifier of the Flatwoods monster is this like head with this big Ace of Spades looking shape. He's got like a Hershey Kiss head. (laughs) Yeah, essentially. Hershey Kiss needs to look into it because I think they've got a real good opportunity here to have a sweet mask. He's just got, he's got a Jimmy Neutron haircut. <laughs> Basically, yeah. No, that the ten feet tall is was wicked scary. Yeah, this dude should be in the NBA, just winning every yeah. every game, just backing down people in the paint, <laughs> boxing out and spooking down, just sky hooks all day. But instead, he's. <laughs> pulsing red in the woods if you know what i'm saying if you, if you know what we mean Ooh. um according to the story when the figure made a hissing sound and glided towards the group so he doesn't walk he glides and makes hissing noises lemon the national guardsman screamed and dropped his flashlight causing the group to run away the group also said that they smelled a pungent mist and some later said that they were nauseated so The local sheriff and deputy had been investigating reports of a crashed aircraft in the area. They searched the site of the reported monster, but saw, heard, and smelled nothing. So that's the initial contact, which scared them. I didn't smell anything. Yeah, right. They didn't. He's like, I went there, smelled fucking great. Listen, I was out in the middle of the woods, didn't smell a thing. Didn't smell a thing. Case closed. So the next day, a member of the Braxton Democrat, which I believe is a newspaper, claimed to discover skid marks in the field in an odd gummy deposit, which were subsequently attributed by UFO enthusiast groups as evidence of a saucer landing. Ooh, UFO. Wait, what do you... Wait, ew, gummy deposit? Yeah, gummy deposit is... It's just a bunch of, like, chewed up gum down there. It sounds like one of the farmer's names that we've been running into. Gummy... Old gummy deposit. Oh, we got G. Bailey Fisher and old gummy deposit. <laughs> 
So there's just like a beanbag chair size amount of gu- chewed gum of just, out there, and they're like, yep, this is a this UFO. Is UFO, baby. Now, the conventional explanations. In 2000, Joe Nickel of the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry concluded that the bright light in the sky reported by the witnesses on September 12th was most likely a meteor, and that the pulsating red light was likely an aircraft navigation slash hazard beacon, and that the creature described by witnesses closely resembles an owl. So very similar to Mothman, where people are like, I think it's a big owl, and you just were freaking out. Dude, a 10-foot-tall owl is almost just as scary. <laughs> That's true. If it is, I was going to say, if it is a 10-foot-tall owl that floats and hisses and makes stink at you, oh. uh, it's probably not great. Getting stunk by a big owl in the woods? Yeah, that's a no-good-very-bad-day, if you ask me. That's a macabre Monday, for sure. In addition to that, on the night of September 12th, which was the night of the sighting, a meteor had been observed across three different states— and three flashing red aircraft beacons were also visible from the area of the sightings, which could account for the descriptions of a pulsating red light and red tint on the face of the supposed monster. In addition to that, Joe Nickel also concludes that the shape, movement, and sound supported by witnesses were also consistent with the silhouette, flight pattern, and call of a startled barn owl perched on a tree limb. <laughs> it blows my mind that people can... How do you... I just... Six it's people saw this thing, <laughs> and none of them thought owl. They're all like, nope, giant spade, flatwoods, creature monster thing. Well, that's what I, I mean. If I saw a 10 foot tall spade headed, like red face thing, I probably wouldn't be like, it's an owl. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's true. And then. Oh, look, an owl. <laughs> Gee whiz. It's just trying to find out how many licks it takes to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop. I forgot about that commercial. Yeah, I don't. Mr. Owl, that fucking weirdo who just stole that kid's candy. Yeah. So. That's 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 the Flatwoods like monster story and supposed explanation. Similar to the Mothman, the Flatwoods monster is known by the town folk as like a local legend and they throw like a little festival every year. That's sick. West Virginia fucking puts it on for their monsters. Oh, also they made chairs in the town. They made five different Flatwood monster chairs. And if you sit in them and take photographs of all five, you get a free sticker that says free Braxy. <laughs> Is Braxy the name of the monster? No, the name it's the Flatwoods monster, but Braxy is the county. It's the Braxton County, which it took place in. So, like, I, I don't know why free exactly, but you, you yeah, get a fun is, sticker. Is the entire county in jail? <laughs> I don't know why they say free Braxy. That's not the point. The point is we could get two free stickers. Yeah, we need to get those chairs, baby. And in addition to that, in popular culture, Flatwood monster appears in Majora's Mask, <laughs> which is weird. That's super scary. And also, yeah. we've talked about that game on I this know. It keeps showing up because it's a terrifying about, fucking game. Yeah, about how it gives us anxiety and how yeah. putting a, a doomsday timer in a kid's game, kids is, game is an awful fucked up. up. Yeah. Uh, so there's a side quest where you like run into the Flatwoods monster, pretty much. It's also... You just go from Hyrule to West Virginia all of a sudden. <laughs> in addition, Fallout 76 has a Flatwood monster in it. Oh, that's pretty cool. Now, so... That's my initial research into the Flatwood Monster. I was like, oh, that's interesting. But that's when I stumbled across something that took me down a rabbit hole of interesting UFO government-related intrigue. And that was the Flatwoods Monster is just one of many different UFO encounters cited in Project Blue Book. Okay. Project Blue Book, folks. This Project is it. Blue Book. So I was like, what the hell is Project Blue Book? And here is 
the rub listeners kelly blue book <laughs> the kelly blue book of ufos essentially so the story of project blue book starts with a 1956 publication of the report on unidentified flying objects by retired air force captain edward j rupelt so in this book rupelt basically tells a story of everything government ufo related up to that point now so eddie roops is just laying out the eddie the eddie rupelt rupelt he, he's the guy he's the dude it all starts in 1947 after a string of flying saucer sightings the air force begins its campaign to understand the ufo phenomenon it starts with a project called project sign the project was established in 1948 by air force general nathan farragut twining head of the Air Technical Service Command, and was initially named Project Saucer, which I think is a much better name. Than Project That's Sign. a way better name. Why'd they change that? I bit? don't know. <laughs> the goal of the project was to collect, evaluate, and distribute within the government all information relating to UFO sightings on the premise that they might represent a national security concern. By late July 1948, Project Sign investigators had come to an incredible conclusion. Visitors from outer space had arrived. Hey oh, hey oh! Imagine just finishing World War II and then you have to deal with this shit. Right? <laughs> just like, like fuck. All right, we got Nazis now. We got Martian Nazis now. We got space Nazis. Yeah, we gotta deal with that. We gotta fight. A couple years, we're gonna have a monster in the woods making us stink. Giant owl, giant stinky owl. <laughs> so they come to a conclusion that's based off of a few encounters. One such encounter takes place in Montgomery, Alabama. 2.45 a.m. on July 24th, 1948, Clarence S. Childs and John B. Witted, pilot and co-pilot respectively of an Eastern Airlines DC-3, saw an object that looked like a distant jet aircraft to their right and just above them, but it was moving really fast. Seconds later, as it streaked past them, they saw something that Witted thought looked like one of those fantastic Flash Gordon rocket ships in the funny papers. <laughs> Everyone talks like this. In This the- is so... It's like... <laughs> the 40s just it's not a joke this is how they yeah, speak i think it's uh, yeah jay willikers <laughs> clarence incredible. one of them fantastic flash gordon rocket like it doesn't make any goddamn <laughs> sense golly gee so it was a huge tube-shaped structure it's fuselage three times the circumference of a b-29 bomber and with two rows of square windows emanating white light Childs would remember that it was quote <laughs> powered by some jet or other type of power shooting flame from the rear some 50 feet. The object was also glimpsed by one of the passengers who was not sleeping at the time, and after it passed the DC-3, it shot up 500 feet and was lost in the cloud at 6,000 feet altitude. So Goose and Maverick saw this, but no one in their <laughs> yeah. plane did? Yeah, well, so like, yeah, just the two pilots saw it, and then one individual who was in the plane was like, oh, I saw it too, but everyone else was, was like, dude, I just saw a cool... Yeah. big jet with lights the lights i love that the lights are super bright on the inside like the aliens yeah. are just fucking yeah they're having a rave partying in there <laughs> so it was two forty-five in the morning so most of the passengers are asleep except for one guy who claims he also saw it now what the two pilots didn't know at the time is that an hour earlier a ground maintenance crewman at robbins air force base in georgia had seen the same or identical object. On July 20th, observers in the Hague, Netherlands, watched a comparable craft move swiftly through the clouds. So four days prior, Netherlands, they spot this craft, and then these pilots see it. So 
It took investigators a little time to establish that no earthly missile or aircraft could have been responsible for these sightings, and moreover, with independent verification of the object's appearance and performance, there seemed no question of the witnesses being mistaken about what they had seen. They're basically saying, like, we have a lot of very high confidence and so many different witnesses that cannot explain what this craft is, right? This is now a credible story. along with... Or threat, I guess, if you're the military. Right. So this, along with several similar sightings around the time, lead the Project Sign group to prepare what they call the Estimate of the Situation, which is a top-secret document that argued that this and other reliably observed UFOs could only be otherworldly vehicles. So they're like, we're convinced, like, these are UFOs. There's no way man could have created like, these we're crafts. we're in this shit. It's, like, that shit's motherfucking yeah. big. <laughs> shit is big and fast. Now, when the estimate of the situation, again, that document title, lands on the desk of Air Force Chief of Staff General Hoyt S. Vandenberg, he promptly rejects it on the grounds that the report had not proved its case. So... We're getting higher up in the government going, hell no, brother. You guys. So it's like it's like getting less and less credible each step it goes up. So that's the end of Project Sign, right? So they're like, we're done with this. That's not real. Even though everyone else was like, no, that's definitely real. (laughs) Yeah. They're like, holy shit, this is nuts. And then higher ups are like, nah, dog, that ain't us. So they end Project Sign. Maybe it's a test vehicle that the higher ups know about. So they're just like. Yeah, there's a lot of you'll we're going to get into a lot of like conspiracy here. Now, yes, get <laughs> thick in that conspiracy. Yeah, lather yourself up in conspiracy juice and that hop on in the tub. Like cake batter, and I just want a, <laughs> a wooden spoon in there, just stirring it. Yep, I love it. <laughs> so that's not the end of the government's investigation into UFOs, of course. Following Project Sign, Project Grudge took its place, which is a fucking oh, like scary name. little <laughs> Japanese girls. Yeah, it's only Japanese <laughs> horrific schoolgirls. <laughs> Watching static TVs, trying to figure out if they can find I UFOs. recently learned that the grudge is based off like an entire genre of movies that they have in Japan. What? Yeah. So you know how the grudge is based off of a Japanese horror movie? Yes. So I, I learned that there's like a lot of movies with that same girl. Okay. That same type of like ghostly girl, both animated and not animated. And I'm, it blows my mind that something so simple of just like a really scary ghost girl is like an entire genre. But then again, I guess a guy with a machete is an entire yeah, genre yeah, We just have axe-wielding <laughs> lunatic over and over and over again. So Project Grudge, it's still investigating UFO reports. But as Rupolt, who was the author of this whole thing, remember, he writes... Yo, Roops. I would never forget old Roops. Yeah, Eddie, Eddie Rupps goes... Eddie, Eddie Rupps filled. The difference between sign and grudge is that in grudge, standard intelligence procedures would be used. This normally means an unbiased evaluation of intelligence data, but it doesn't take a great deal of study of the old UFO files to see that standard intelligence procedures were not being followed by Project Grudge. Everything was being evaluated on the premise that UFOs couldn't exist. No matter what you see or hear, don't believe it. So grudge is very anti-UFO. Okay. Or their totally cover up. That's UFO. that's kind of the underlying like, well, that you know. So Ripple noted that some of the Air Technical Intelligence Center's top intelligence specialists who had been so eager to work on the original project sign were no longer working on Project Grudge. Some of them had drastically and hurriedly changed their minds about UFOs when they learned the Pentagon was no longer sympathetic to the UFO cause. So 
a lot of the like really smart smarties working on Project Sign all of a sudden are like, oh, never mind. Bye. <laughs> and peace out. <laughs> now, this is gone. Yeah. So this is the point in which the government went from being open to UFOs being of alien origin to drastically switching their position to explain away any UFO. Suspect. Yeah. In order to do that, Grudge began a public relate. Yeah, it's really suspicious to be like, hey, people are starting to see a bunch of these UFOs and the government's like, well, we are now going to decide none of them exist. <laughs> like, Very suspicious. So in order to quell the populace of being too intrigued by these UFOs, Grudge began a public relations campaign to explain their conclusions to the general public. The first entry in the... Project Grudge PR campaign came via Sidney Shallot of the Saturday Evening Post, which was one of the more popular magazines at the time. Shallot's article appeared in two consecutive issues of the Post and generally echoed the Grudge's main focus point, which was most UFO reports could be easily explained as mundane phenomena misidentified by eyewitnesses, that the subject of UFOs was blown out of proportion by the mass media, and Shalik suggests that hoax and crackpots play a prominent role in popularizing UFOs. And I bet that fooled a lot of idiots. <laughs> well, exactly. But not us. Isn't that like the thing? You're just like, okay, how dumb do you think like people are? That the government just became hipsters and everyone started loving UFOs. So they were like, no, nah, it's not even cool. Like, UFOs hey, aren't guys, even real. They're not even real and you're all insane. And they're like, Shh. Like name five UFOs, dude. <laughs> in addition to her making these suggestions, many high-ranking military personnel were featured in the article. So, Shallot's article is perhaps the first detailed public discussions of UFOs, and coupling that with the endorsement of prominent military men, they the government was like, we got it. Nobody's gonna believe UFOs anymore at all. Project Grudge had hoped that the article would reduce public interest in flying saucers, but the effect was just the opposite. Shallot had mentioned in passing that a small minority of UFO reports seemed to defy analysis, and these statements were seized upon by the press and the curious. So, like, while she was like, hey, 99% of these are completely explainable, yeah, there's a couple unexplained ones, but we're going to just, like, quickly brush over that. But everyone was like, wait, what was that last thing you said? And they're like, <laughs> uh, it's explainable? Uh, big owls? Uh, yeah, big owls. And then they quickly were like, no, 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 no. So... Shallot had planted, quote, the seed of doubt in the general public. And so now the public starts getting UFO crazy. Everyone's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We got to look into this. Now, Project Grudge issued its only formal report in August of 1949. Though over 600 pages long, the report's conclusions stated the following. All evidence and analysis indicate the reports of unidentified flying objects are the result of either one, misinterpretation of various conventional objects, two, a mild form of mass hysteria and war nerves. Three, individuals who fabricate such reports to perpetrate a hoax or to see publicity. And four, psychopathological persons. <laughs> so that's their conclusion, which is like, yeah, we everyone assumed you were going to come to this conclusion. Is My favorite's war nerves. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> there's, it's, just, it's just not what... So all attempts to quell interest in ufos completely backfires now we fast forward at this point to 1951 so a couple years pass and at this point project grudge consists only of lieutenant jerry cummings it's just like the grudge office and it's just one dude yeah, in the middle of one the room. <laughs> yeah, exactly he's like hi i'm jerry <laughs> hey welcome uh so 
the UFO world had been quiet for a couple of years up to that point, but all of a sudden, an unexplained Uh-oh. UFO phenomenon occurs. Bam. Bam. Jerry's on the case. September 10th, 1951, there was a radar slash visual UFO encounter near Fort Monmouth in New Jersey. The Battle of Monmouth. Yeah, Fort, Fort Mothman, New Jersey. <laughs> Pilots and radar operators report encounters with a number of fast-moving, highly maneuverable disc-shaped aircrafts. High-ranking Sound personnel like saucers. Yeah, they see project saucers. High-ranking personnel order an investigation, and Cummings and Lieutenant Colonel N. R. Rosegarten spend most of the 13th of <laughs> September interviewing witnesses and gathering documentation at Fort Mothman. I would love that job. Right? Isn't that cool? Just traveling the country and interviewing people who claims to have seen aliens. That yeah. sounds it's an, a, like an amazing job. It does seem like a wicked fun job. So the duo were then ordered to relate the results of their investigation directly to Major General Jar- Charles P. Cabell. Now, Cabell's an important dude. Cabell. People focus. This is Cabell time. Hey, Cabell time. He's the head of Air Force Intelligence at the Pentagon. So like, he's a, he's a big deal. That's pretty high up. Yeah. So now just lonely Jerry of Project Grudge and his buddy who interview these people after this UFO sighting have to go to the air, like the head of Air Force Intelligence and report to this guy. When given permission to speak freely to Cabell and the others, Cummings, and this is a quote of Ruppelt's because he's writing this in his book. He says, Cummings cut loose. He told every UFO report submitted to Grudge was taken as a huge joke. So he's pissed. He's like... Everyone's gone. I'm the only guy on this project. And the entire time, any UFO thing that came through, everyone just was like, this is fucking stupid. We're not investigating it. I can see that. Just being like, what's the point of my position if you guys don't believe anything I say anyway, even if I like, it's very credible. So he's super pissed off. He tells this to Charles P. Cabell. And when General Cabell learned that Grudge had essentially ignored UFO reports, he gets pissed. He's furious. The Fort Monmouth case had highlighted what critics saw as Air Material Command's sloppy debunking, and at a meeting, a frustrating cabal was reported to have said, I want an open mind. In fact, I order an open mind. Anyone who does... Yeah, I know. He's bringing in the order. Cabal. Ooh. Ooh. Making me feel some type of way. He says, anyone who doesn't keep an open mind can get out now. Why do I have to stir up the action? Anyone can see that we do not have a satisfactory answer to the saucer question. So that's his initial thing in a meeting he has. Then at another meeting with high-ranking military colonels, he says, I've been lied to and lied to and lied to, and I want it to stop. I want the answers to saucers, and I want a good answer. Amen, dude. So they finally have, like, someone from a higher-up position, you know, like, giving them the, the credence and, like, help and assistance that Cummings wanted this entire time because he's, like, everyone's just making fun of <laughs> project grudge and like it's, it was just like a joke so which makes sense because like even if they're not ufos like what if they're like right russian like right. There's, sec- there's national security at risk here right yeah so at this point colonel rosegarden him and cummings did the report ask Ruppelt to take over as the new project leader in late 1951 so this is how Ruppelt learns of all this and gets involved, right? Ruppelt's in. So Cabell wanted Grudge reactivated, but he did not want the general public to know that he and others in the military took UFOs seriously. Ooh, top secret. Right. So he orders the project to be top secret, keep a low profile, and he had hoped that this would protect the military's reputations on two fronts. 
One, if the saucer phenomenon was groundless, then they could not be accused of sensationalism. But if the phenomenon proved to have some basis in fact, the military could produce serious studies on the subject. Savvy fucking move. Right. So Cavill especially did not want the military to be received as belittling civilians who had reported UFOs. Now, this is when Project Grudge becomes Project Blue Book. Hey, the hey. Blue Book's back. That's just when Kelly gets involved. Yeah, this is when, this is when Kelly... So, so we have Cummings and Rupert, right? Yeah, we have Co- Cummings and Ruppelt. Well, Ruppelt. Ruppelt. It's okay, probably Ruppelt, who's Will Smith and who's Tommy Lee Jones? I think Tommy Lee Jones would be Cummings because he was involved in Grudge prior, and then Ruppelt's the new guy coming in. Oh, okay, okay. So... So, yeah. So, those are our two men in black right there, right? Right. So, this becomes the most open-minded and productive era of government UFO research. Is 1951 and onward. It sounds like my favorite era of government UFO research. Right. So, March 1952 is the official beginning of Project Blue Book. The new name, Project Blue Book, was selected to refer to the blue booklets used for testing at some colleges and universities. The name was inspired. Oh, fuck that. I just got like... <laughs> you got a fl- like PTSD. I just got like final stress yeah, from hearing I, that. I can envision the book in my head and it does give me heebie-jeebies. Ugh, I need to write everything out. The name was inspired, said Rupert, by the close attention that high-ranking officers were giving the new project. It felt as if the study of UFOs was as important as a college final exam. Ew, stop. Blue Book was also upgraded in status from Project Grudge with the creation of the Aerial Phenomenon branch. So not only That's is it sick. Yeah. Not only is Blue Book now being taken seriously, they get an entire new branch called the Aerial Phenomenon branch created just for them. Which is Dude, super Cummings dope. must have been stoked putting in the work alone I bet. just to get like his whole It's literally like a film. Ass. Like it's a movie. This is a movie. Dude, last night was a fucking movie. Yeah, how come there isn't a sweet like HBO? There's actually a History Channel. I've found a oh. History Channel series called Project Blue Book that started in 2019. Which no, I'm like, we need like I'm gonna uh, watch the shit out of it. What's the name of that show on Netflix about like the first people to start looking into serial killers? Oh, uh, Mindhunter. Yeah, we need that, but for Project yeah. Blue Book. Yeah, we we well yeah <laughs> we we'll, we'll do, do it fine we'll do it fine, 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 fine us. we'll write it we'll write the pilot fine. yeah we'll write the pilot you guys have to kickstart it but we'll get it done okay and i'm only casting tommy lee jones in it <laughs> he's it's gonna be like a meet the clump situation where he plays every character i don't think we can afford will smith but tommy lee jones might be in that sweet spot where he's kind of yeah. old so he's down to do something that he's interested in for less money right will smith's just like will smith is a a a list i don't think we can ever get him He's the fucking genie, dude. (laughs) That's true. Shit. So, Rupert was the first head of the project. Uh, He was an experienced airman. He had been decorated for his efforts with the Army Air Corps in World War II, and he earned a degree in aeronautics. So, he was definitely qualified to be leading this Project Blue Book. Yeah, aeronautics is a sweet field. If you told me you have a degree in aeronautics, I'm already like, all right, jeez, calm down, you badass. (laughs) You own a pair of sunglasses, guaranteed. 100%. Aviators on 95% yes, of the time a indoors. thousand. He goes to sleep in them. And you have a cool watch. Yeah. Now, he is the person who officially coins the term unidentified flying object. No way. Yeah. That's so, actually like, you learn I'm not something. even like being facetious. That's actually wicked cool. That it's super dope. <laughs> that's the first ever UFO. Like. Yep. He is the guy. Project Blue Book is what introduced an unidentified flying object to the modern lexicon. This is the origin story, folks. You heard it here. You heard it here. The more you know. 
Ruppel thought that unidentified flying object was a more neutral and accurate term than saying things like flying saucer or flying disc. So that's a, that I read that. I was like, that's super neat. Listeners, you learn something. Subscribe. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Ruppel implemented Ruppelt. I'm going to say Ruppelt because I've been saying Ruppelt, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's not how it's pronounced, but I've, I'm too deep now. Will Smith's character. Yeah, he implements a number of changes to the the project, right? He streamlined the manner in which UFOs were reported to and by military officials, partly in hopes of alleviating the stigma and ridicule associated with UFO witnesses. Ruppelt also orders the development of a standard questionnaire for UFO witnesses, hoping to uncover data which could be subject to statistical analysis. I like this guy. I like yeah. this guy's NASA data he's science. Got that, yeah, exactly. He's got that experiment he's got his his groups his, he, he's got it all the he's like a master of the bureaucratic process exactly he even commissioned the battle the batmobile battelle memorial institute i'm not sure how it's pronounced but he commissions an institute to create a questionnaire and computerize the data and using case reports and computerized data the institute then conducts a massive scientific and statistical study of all air force ufo cases so rupert's really like got his shit together right Right. Not only did Rupert take the job seriously, but he expected his staff to do as well. If anyone under him either became too skeptical or too convinced of one particular theory, they soon found themselves off of the project. He wanted to make sure things were as like neutral and unbiased as possible when investigating these things, which makes sense. And in addition, each U.S. Air Force base had a Blue Book officer to collect UFO reports and forward them to Rupert. During most of Ruppelt's tenure, he and his team were authorized to interview any and all military personnel who witnessed UFOs and were not required to follow the chain of command. So at this point, they're literally their like own thing. Like this is when they like are the men in black. Like they any UFO report, these dudes roll in, show up and get to like interview the people. Like this, they pull off the sunglasses. This is our crime scene now. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's just nuts to me that like they don't have to follow chain of command. They like have complete authority over UFOs. I just picture they're all like, what's his name from Twin Peaks? Yeah, essentially, actually, Twin the Peaks. FBI this, agent. The second season of Twin Peaks has major references to Project Blue Book in it. So, Alamal. <laughs> now, in July 1952, we have the Robertson panel. The Rod. I know. Believe I don't know me, what that is. So the Robinson panel was after a buildup of hundreds of sightings over the previous few months. In July 1952, the CIA, because of the publicity that these UFO sightings were getting, they decided to establish a panel of scientists. Scientist panel. The panel was full of like physicists, meteorologists, engineers, astronomers, etc in order to formulate a response to the overwhelming public interest in UFOs. Basically, Ruppelt presents his best evidence, including movie footage that had been collected by Blue Book. And after a 12-hour-long meeting where they review six years' worth of Blue Book data, the Robertson panel concludes that most UFO reports had prosaic explanations and that all could be explained with further investigation, which they deemed not worth the effort. Now... Obviously, I know, but for some of the listeners out there, what does prosaic mean exactly? Scones, I'm so glad you asked. Let me type it in to Google. Because, <laughs> like, we know. We know. Having the style but. of diction or uh, uh, having the style of diction or prose lacking poetic beauty or commonplace and unromantic. So, basically, they're just saying that 
they're they're not as exciting as people want it to be and that they're just they're very easily explained. So the Robertson panel concludes that all the work that the Project Blue Book has done again has not like revealed anything exciting enough for them to continue investigating. I think they should c- continue. I know. So in their final report, they stress that low-grade, unverifiable UFO reports were overloading intelligence channels, and with the risk of a miss of missing a genuine conventional threat to the U.S., they recommend that the Air Force de-emphasize the subject of UFOs and embark on a debunking campaign to lessen public interest. So this is a secret report between the Robertson panel and like the Air Force, essentially. They suggest that through the use of mass media, including Walt Disney Productions and <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> and psychologists, astronomers, and celebrities, they should start ridiculing the phenomenon and put forward commonplace explanations, and that civilian UFO groups should be watched because of their potentially great influence on mass thinking. This is Dude, straight out of the fucking report. I was going to say, I'm expecting you to like tie in Jack Parsons and <laughs> JPL somehow. Not going to happen, but so they're like, we need to watch closely UFO groups and tell celebrities and Walt Disney to like start telling people <laughs> that they're all hoaxes and like easily explained. What a goofy plan of attack. I, yeah, it's, it's insanity. So Walt Disney is in on this now. Right. As it's, well as who are the celebrities at the time? Like, yeah, I don't like Humphrey Bogart <laughs> fucking... <laughs> Bing Crosby, who, by the way, is a complete is asshole. asshole? <laughs> yeah, fuck Darius, fuck Bing Crosby. Fuck Bing Crosby. <laughs> so they're like, hey, control the public opinion through propaganda and spying. Land of the free, baby. <laughs> now, this has not only informed the Air Force's policy regarding UFO studies then, but that has continued basically to present day. There's evidence that the panel's recommendations were being carried out for at least two decades after its conclusions were issued. Now, as an immediate consequence of the Robertson panel, in February 1953, the Air Force issued Regulation 200-2, ordering airbase officers to publicly discuss UFO incidents only if they were judged to have been solved and to classify all the unsolved cases to keep them out of the public eye. That's pretty crazy. Which is just nuts. Which is like where we get to the conspiracy. I feel like that. Yeah, that's conspiratorial. It, they just literally were like, let's make people. Yeah, let's make, make people really curious. Yeah. It's like, hey, don't talk about it unless it's been solved. Like, what? That's. Yeah. Uh, so. It's like telling a kid they can't play with the toy. Like, they're just going to want it more. Right. So then in the same month, investigative duties started to be taken on by a newly formed group called the 462nd Air Intelligence Squadron of the Air Defense Command, and they were assigned the task of investigating only the most important UFO cases with intelligence or national security implications. These cases were deliberately siphoned away from Project Blue Book, leaving Project Blue Book to deal with only trivial reports. So this is like the man coming in being like, hey, we're going to take all of the actual cool UFO stuff and you're going to just like be a thing that's like basically a front for yeah they just like this is our crime scene to the guys who this is our crime scene yeah they just double they crime scene squared them so this is all done secretly and the public face of blue book continues to be the official air force investigation of ufos but in reality it was essentially reduced to doing very little serious investigation and had become almost completely destroyed right so that's lame those dang fat cats at the top right so 
In August 1953, his staff had been reduced from more than 10 to just two subordinates and himself. Rupert is basically he he gets reassigned and that's essentially the end of Project Blue Book. Aww. Yeah, sad. sad they had a good stuff. run. They did have a good run. What was it, like two years? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's essentially the end of in all but name Project Blue Book until the Condon Committee meets. And in December of 17th, 1969, the Condon Committee determines that there's nothing extraordinary about UFOs. And while there are a minority of cases unexplained, the report also argues that further research would not be likely to yield significant results. This ends up with Blue Book operations ending December 17th, 1969. Ooh. You know what else happened in 1969? What happened in 1969? We went to the moon. Do you think there's a bum, 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 Some connection bum. there? I don't know what it is. I just... That, space, space, <laughs> man. Hey, listeners, no. you come up with a connection. Now, so that's the that's the end of our story, right? That's the end of Project Blue Book, right? You know? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm ready to admit of, that that's the end of the story. That's the end of the government's involvement with UFOs, and they've brushed it off completely, and uh, it's over. Or is it? <gasps> bum, 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 All right. Bum. This is when we Naruto run at the <laughs> secret base. So I did some more research and came across a page on vault.fbi.gov. Dars is in the Sling and Dingers library, which is essentially, have you seen the Library of Congress? It's yeah, that it's size. Like it's, and yeah. Dars is there with his small like <laughs> bifocal reading glasses, just just flipping through pages, getting some ink under his fingernails. Ooh, yum 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 yum. Just putting in the hours. So and he found he found a little tidbit, <laughs> little tidbit. So vault.fbi.gov is the official site of the FBI's public information and declassified reports. And I found an interesting correspondence in there. There oh was a gosh. letter sent on July 24th, 1989, 20 years after the closing of Project Blue Book. Uh, What happened in 1989? I'm trying to think. Oh, fuck. Uh Uh-oh. What movie came out in 1989? Uh, I think we have to restart the podcast. We got to go again. All right. It's Monday. It's morning. (laughs) And it's 1989. So a letter is sent July 24th, 1989 to then active director of the FBI, William S. Sessions. In this letter, which I'm going to read some of it to you right now, what basically what it said is, Dear Mr. Sessions, you may recall that while you were in Fort Smith visiting your father, I called and briefly mentioned my keen desire to meet with you and to discuss the phenomena of redacted. So I can't, you know, it's redacted. I can't read it. I don't know what what it is specifically. It's got that black mark on it. By the way, 1989 is the year that Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure came out. (laughs) Okay. Conspiracy. I'm convinced. So that's redacted, and these are these are like scanned photocopies of of actual like typed out typewriter paper, right? So it's like literally crossed out. So the sentence continues to discuss the phenomenon of redacted in general and the role of U.S. government participation in particular. I said that I wish to issue a challenge to you pertaining to UFOs. You stated that you were very interested and that I should write to you, which I am now doing. So <laughs> which this is which me is, this writing is on thing. this paper. <laughs> so he goes on to say director of the fbi mr j edgar hoover 
whose personal reported some of the sightings themselves and who were otherwise brought into some of the cases, repeatedly asked the Air Force for complete information about the UFOs, but to no avail. They, the Air Force, would not release certain case reports to Mr. Hoover. That's crazy. They're all in the Department of Defense and they're just not sharing info. Like, no way, dude. We're not telling you about that. And the only information that he got was mostly sanitized versions slash copies and that they had a lot of information completely blacked out. This mystery writer goes on to say, while chairman of the Senate Committee on Science, Senator Barry Goldwater, asked for information, he was told that he was not on a need-to-know basis. This request of Goldwater's had to do with the initial announcement from the Air Force that a saucer had crashed and that alien bodies were located in a hangar or other building at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio. Dayton. Yeah, Dayton, Ohio. Senator Goldwater was refused any information in this matter, along with not being allowed to personally look inside of the alleged building. So we've got like, this guy's like, hey, these people have tried to make these requests and have been like sufficiently blocked. Dayton. Dayton. And the next paragraph is completely blacked out. All redact. Later on, he writes, The important key is to go beyond the Air Force and into the other agencies, such as the Office of Defense, CIA, etc. President Bush, when asked about the UFOs, told the person asking, You don't know the half of it. (laughs) (laughs) Which is insane. That is, wait, George H.W. is just sitting yep. there like, you don't know the fucking half. Now it, watch this drive. <laughs> I know it's a son. Now but. watch me do this. <laughs> anyway, as you know, President Bush, President Bush, <laughs> President Bush was formerly with the CIA. His comments are on tape, by the way. So that's amazing. Now, the letter ends. This mystery writer says very sincerely, and then it's signed, but it's completely blacked out. We don't know who the mystery writer is. That's, and then he's he, definitely dead. Now, there's a PS that says, as sort of an ultimate challenge, why not ask President Bush himself? <laughs> the ultimate challenge. <laughs> yeah. So what I find interesting about this correspondence is, A, in the beginning, he says, I called and briefly mentioned my keen desire to meet with you. Like... It's. It sounds like this guy, whoever this person who wrote this was, like, has a fairly. They're personal, on the inside. Yeah, that they know sessions. But what's even more interesting, scones? What's interesting? Let me hit you with what's interesting. The name of the individual is redacted, but the title of the group that the individual is with is not, and the name of that group is the New Project Blue Book. Ugh! Bump bump bump! Holy fuckamoly! Yeah, so that's 1989. The year Bill and Ted came out. Or is it's really the year zero if you judge time as before <laughs> and after the year Bill and Ted came out. Right. So the year zero, uh, Bill and Ted. So that is the Project Blue Book, the real men in black, government, UFO, conspiracy cover-up, etc. And so do you know if the, the new project Project Blue Book is out there still operating? No idea. Could be, could not be. Nothing. I looked for it. I couldn't find anything on it. So You think they'd be nuts now with like the amount of surveillance technology that exists right. in the world? There was in April 2003. Oh, okay. So hold on. That's uh, the year 14, Bill and Ted. BT. So again, this, this correspondence I just read was 1989. But in 2003, the USAF publicly indicated that there were no immediate plans to reestablish any official government UFO study programs. However, in December 2017, 
it was disclosed that a new secret UFO study titled the Advanced Aviation Threat Identification Program was funded at over $20 million a year from 2007 to 2012. That's a lot of cheese. It's a lot of cheddar to be looking into stuff that you apparently don't care about, you know? What do they know? (laughs) Listeners, if you know, let us know. Wait, and what year was that? That was... Budget allocated? 2007 to 2012. 20 million. Jeez. So that's $100 million over the course of five years. Quick maths. So that is the the UFO men in black deep dive that I came across when I was... All I wanted to do was learn about the Flatwoods monster, but here we are. But here we are. Blue Books, Bill and Ted, the whole shebang. Project Blue Book, the whole shebang. I was like, this is interesting. You learned what where UFO comes from, you know? There's definitely some weird stuff going on internally <laughs> about UFOs that we don't know about. That's and, sick. Uh, that's today's episode of Monday Morning Macabre. I learned a lot. I had fun. Scones and have fun. I, scones learned a lot. I think there's there's something there's something going on. I'm sure there's still plenty of money allocated to this still. Well, also, $20 million dollars to the U.S. government is like absolutely nothing. Yeah, that's true. You think that anything that you know about has a lot of money? Guess what? The United <laughs> States like Department of Defense pisses has, on that with the amount of money they yeah, have. It's insane. I still want that fight night, that West Virginia fight yeah, night t-shirt. I, that <laughs> does sound dope, and we should hire somebody to make that shirt. We're not artists. We're not artists, but uh, we can hire an artist. And then we can fire an artist. Yeah. <laughs> we can hire an artist. As soon as you're done, then... we'll pay you, and then we'll fire you. <laughs> yeah, that's how we conduct business, yeah, baby. we get off on power. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, like, comment, subscribe below. The I don't know, just all the generic YouTuber. Subscribe, resubscribe. Things. Find us anywhere you get podcasts, even though you already found us because you're listening to this. Twitter.com, MM Macabre Pod, Instagram, Monday Morning Macabre, Monday Morning Macabre.com. And at the end of the day, have a good Monday. Boy, boy. <laughs>